every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Sarah Cascone, VP of Marketing at Bluecore, a retail marketing platform that enables marketers to turn data into revenue-generating campaigns in minutes. In this episode, Sarah educates us on what her team calls the relationship demand gen chain, how to foster a meaningful customer community, and how ruthless prioritization is a superpower. Sarah also shares with us why she believes traditional outbound is fading away, and that now marketing is all about curating hyper-personalized content. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Sarah Cascone, VP of Marketing at Bluecore, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I'm joined by a special guest. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, Ian. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, excited to chat marketing, excited to chat demand, pipeline, all that stuff, your background, and we're going to get into all that and what you're doing at Bluecore. So tell us, what was your first job in marketing? Yeah. So first job, I actually did events for a market research company called Worldwide Business Research. They actually put on conferences in a whole bunch of different industries and retail. And in retail, they had a flagship couple of shows. That's actually how I ended up finding the job at Bluecore because Bluecore was one of the sponsors of their retail conferences. So came full circle for me. Yeah, no kidding. And flash forward to today, tell us what it means to be VP of marketing at Bluecore. Yeah, loaded question. But <laughs> basically what we're trying to do and what I'm trying to do is make sure the our target market knows who Bluecore is and why we're different. And especially in our market, serving retail from the marketing lens, it's extremely saturated. So Bluecore is an identification and customer movement solution for retailers. And what that means is we help them turn their anonymous shoppers into known customers and move them through the purchase funnel with relevant comms to drive incremental revenue more effectively than any other customer data solution in the retail stack. So really making sure we drive that message home and understand what's different about the way we do it is basically my job. <laughs> Let's head to the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? where we go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. <laughs> you talked a little bit about Bluecore, what y'all do. Who are, who are some of your customers? What types of companies and size of companies within retail are you selling to? 
Yeah, so we exclusively work with enterprise and high growth direct to consumer retailers. So normally those who are doing a large chunk of their revenue coming from e-commerce and they have a pretty extensive product catalog and a pretty extensive customer base. Those two components together make it really complex to be able to communicate relevant products to customers. And that's essentially the core of what we're helping them do to drive incremental revenue. Right. And, and so these are, you know, a lot of names that, that people know, like, you know, Steve Madden and yeah, Steve people Madden, like Nike and Under Armour and Lulu and Georgia Noble. So Aloe Yoga is another one. A lot of those household names for sure. What does the buying committee look like for uh, when you're selling in? Buying committee is typically the CMO or the CDO org, so the chief marketing officer or the chief digital officer, depending on who owns what channels. Usually the buyers are responsible for email or site or even the paid media channels. And there's usually strong influence from the CIO or the CTO and the tech side of the organization who are trying to manage and wrangle the massive tech stacks that these enterprise organizations have. How do you structure your marketing organization? What's your marketing strategy look like? Yeah, great question. So we actually just kind of rejig this about six months ago to really match our org structure to the strategy that we set out to do from a marketing standpoint. Perfect time to talk about it. Perfect time. It's fresh in my mind. So we basically have organic growth, which is content, thought leadership, and PR. Then we have marketing ops, which is where all of that gets distributed, channels, paid, reporting, understanding what's working, what's not. Field marketing, very important to us. That's where we do in-market events, conferences, our community events. And then we also have an account-based experiences arm, which is basically our version of an outbound SDR team that is very plugged into the other levers I just mentioned and doing one-to-one personal outreach and also leveraging a lot of the Gen AI tech that's out there now. Very cool. Any other sort of thoughts on, on strategy or how you go to market there? Yes. So... Our strategy essentially is to become known, respected, and trusted within our target market. And the underpinning of that is actually what our CMO has coined the relationship demand gen chain for turning overall demand generation into account conversion and pipeline, essentially. And there's four main points in that demand gen chain. The first is the the points of view. This is where my organic growth content, thought leadership folks come in. This is where we're educating the market on our unique point of view on the problems that they're looking to solve through the lens of our key opinion leaders. So the retail experts that have lived and breathed what our prospects and customers are going through, they work for Blue Core, that point of view is coming through. Then there's points of entry, which is a lot of where the demand gen and the marketing ops team comes in how we are engaging with that target audience through the various channels. We have a a much heavier focus now here on LinkedIn and PR. Then there's points of leverage, which is anchored by the field and events team. We have a series of events activations that brings our target into our retail-specific community, allows us to organically access the various personas, specifically the VP and above decision makers that we need to get to in the sales conversations within the buyer group. 
And then there's the points of conversion, which is where the ABX, the account-based experiences team comes in. They're essentially the linchpin for moving our targets along from points of entry and points of leverage, then into meetings for the sales team. So that's like essentially our funnel, going from points of view, points of entry, points of leverage to points of conversion, that turns into pipeline. And we're measuring everything along that, that relationship demand gen chain, as we're calling it. I love that relationship demand gen chain. That's a new one. And I, I really like it. You talked about pre them raising their hand and saying like, hey, I think I need a solution for this. How do you think of, of engaging those folks that aren't ready yet to buy? Yeah, such a great question. And that's where the points of leverage and the events and community really come in handy because mm -hmm. we do recognize that there are other outside factors impacting the urgency with which they want to talk to us or don't want to talk to us. They might not be ready to buy. They might not be in market. So that is where these events and community programs come in handy because we can keep them warm. We can keep them part of the community that we built so that when they are ready, it makes it really easy for them to then have a conversation with us. That is how we develop that overall respect and trust to be earned to bring them into the pipeline. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Yes, such a good question, especially now where marketing budgets are getting tighter and tighter and you really have to prove out value. So I would say the three channels or tactics that are most uncuttable for us right now is that field events and community budget. Then we also have our referrals tactics and strategy, and then our LinkedIn strategy. Yeah, let's start with community. Okay, so community is actually something we started investing in right before COVID, and it's become such an important major part of our strategy with the technology so saturated in our space and the fact that we're retail specific building a community around what we stand for. And I believe this for any vertical, any company, this is going to become more and more important when people are buying technology. People buy from people, not companies. It's easy to walk away from a tech vendor, but it's a lot harder to walk away from a community that is anchored with that, that tech partner. And in our community, we are not only providing a point of view on the most pressing challenges our market faces, we've developed a referral network out of it, and we're also using it as a way to help individuals in the community find their next role. Or if they you know, were part of layoffs, which has happened a lot, especially in the retail industry, help them connect with other leaders to find a better fit. For us specifically, we have Two pillars of the community are executive community, which is VP and above. It's called D2C Collective, the direct-to-consumer mm -hmm. collective. And then we have coffee and commerce, which is a little bit more casual. Both of those, we do discussions monthly. We try to bring in the experts. We try to bring in thought leaders. So we're all, always having some diversity of thought there and making sure we're talking about what's top of mind for the individuals in the community. Yeah. And what are like the different levers that you're sort of using within the community? What do these events look like? Yeah. So they are primarily virtual digital discussions that 
happen monthly. And the format does change where some of them are more open discussion, roundtable-like. Some of them are, we're going to deliver some unique insights or content that you can kind of take back to your team. And then we do have once in a while, we bring them in person. So for example, we actually have one of I think it's our second in-person D2C collective of the year next week. We're bringing a bunch of VP and C-suite leaders across the e-commerce and retail organization to talk about composable commerce. This is becoming a really hot topic with them. So that's normally how we leverage them. And what's really great about these community events is that they sit in between all of the other conferences and in-market events that we are doing, whether it's an e-tail or a commerce next or an NRF. These are some of the events in our space that we go to. We have community events sprinkled in between those. So we always have something to drive our target market to. That's not take a sales call with Blue Core because when they're ready, they'll take a sales call, but we want to keep the conversation going in a way that's organic and beneficial to them. And that's why community is so important. Yeah, I, I love it. And I love that these are both series. So like I, you know, we just wrote this book called The Serialized Content Framework. And one of the things that we talk about there is like building an event series that has a brand. And like, I love that the D2C Collective for this VP level community, that it has a little brand, it has established 2020 on there. It has this thing that y'all are doing next next week, dinner prepared by Chef Lane Carnes, you know, all this stuff. It's really cool. It, it feels premium. It feels very executive and it's branded and it has like a feel to it that feels unique and it's ongoing and it's, you know, and it's something that, that people can sink their teeth into. And I think that so often people don't do that and they sort of make an, a, an event series that's sort of just like a bunch of one-off things that you're not really like joining and subscribing. So like there's some sort of tether there and then there doesn't have like a what's next. It's like, hey, well, what's next is in a quarter, we're going to do another one of these. And I just love that y'all are, are doing that. And then you have, you also have the coffee and commerce one for the non sort of executive level where it doesn't need to be quite the exact same type of a thing. And it's just varied and, and nuanced. And I, I love that sort of stuff. For sure. Yeah. And I appreciate it. And, you know, it wasn't overnight. It took us a couple of years and like test and learn to understand how do we build this thing in a way that's really organic. And I think one thing that's helped us do that is we kind of seeded like members, if you will, from the beginning for their input on what they would want to see in a community. And we bring them into like, what is the content and who are the people you need to be talking to, to make better decisions in your role. And now that's become just like an organic part of how we roll out events, how we decide topics. And we know it's working because we always have new people attending, but we always have repeat members coming back, which mm -hmm. is so great because that tells us the content is valuable. We're constantly trying to get feedback from them as far as what else do they need. And it's been really fun to watch it grow. Shameless plug, we are hiring a community manager. So <laughs> because we, we need to help scale it and make sure we support the community. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to hear you say this, essentially, if you, if you were to say sort of like, what's your event strategy, that basically there's this like owned events piece, and then the, you know, industry events piece, and that they go hand in hand. But if you were to look at it, like holistically, it's like, there is basically an in person event. I mean, I don't know if it's every month, but more or less, 
like every month that someone in your community could, you know, could go to. And I think that that's just such a good way of thinking about it. Like we always think about things in terms of like content calendars and stuff like that, or like, hey, we're going to hit this one event this year, like super hard, and that's going to be our temple thing. But you need those other things throughout the year to keep the conversation going, like you said. 100% agree. Yeah, we try and hit all of the most saturated areas in the country where our targets are based. So you'll see like even the women in retail event, we just did a Pittsburgh and a Columbus event. Both of those are hotbeds for retailers. You've got you've got Dick Sporting Goods and Aryan American Eagle in a Pittsburgh and you've got the Asina brands and Victoria's Secret and all of these other brands in Columbus. So we want to make it easy for these leaders to come and join us. So we do try and make sure we have events scattered in our top markets, which is usually, you know, New York, California, those cities I mentioned, making sure we're not kind of skipping over everyone, especially because we recognize that budgets are tight. Not everyone has travel budgets. We want to make sure we can go to them. That's another reason, too, a lot of our community events are virtual. We want to make it really easy. You can pop in and out between meetings. And we do have the in-person options as well because, there's no denying the the value of an in-person connection. Well, you know, I think that the question there is, there's no, nobody is denying it, but the CFOs are questioning the ROI. 100%. And like, that's the, that's the tricky part that I think we're all in, where it's like, in a constrained environment, it's like, where you can't be everywhere and you can't do that stuff. But you know that having in-person conversations and getting your customers together is also like another part of that. That's like at mission critical, right? Like getting your customers talking and getting them talking with prospects is like mission critical. It's like, how do you do that? And how do you budget it and all that? That's why I think that the blend of having your own events that at least you control all the variables and having a digital presence and having in-person and there's ways to get creative with that and partner with people, but it is a lot of time. It's a lot of people's time to build that. It is. So yeah, having that variety of options is huge. We also budget for covering things like travel for not just our customers, but prospects also recognizing that even if they do have the time, they might not have the budget resources. So that's another thing we try and help out with so that they can connect with the community. We can connect with them. Does it fit in demand? Does community fit somewhere else? So it's a good question because it's kind of demand, but it's also nurturing at the same time. So, and the way like the relationship demand gen flows, it kind of starts with this organic growth, the content thought leadership, marketing ops and demand gen is like the digital distribution and also the halo effect for the events. And then the events kind of sits in between where, yes, it's also driving some of the top of funnel awareness, but it's also driving that consistent engagement and nurturing that builds that respect for who we are in the community that earns us the right to have a sales conversation that earns the right for the ABX team to reach out to them and they'll actually listen and respond and be open to a call. Yeah. My, so my issue as, uh, you know, as why this, I think field has been field has been flawed. It should be a blog post uh, for a long time is like someone goes to your event. That's not a lead, right? Like that's part of the problem is like 
it's not elite. Them going, them wanting to hang out with their peers and get a cocktail, like does not mean that they're interested in your product. So yeah. it was always kind of silly that field kind of fell under demand for me. I totally get why. And I'm not saying it shouldn't live under demand, but I just think of like, you know, structurally, it's a little weird. It, it, it paints the photo here where it's like community events being one thing, but like webinars would be a demand for, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, but what's the difference? They're all kind of the yeah. same thing. Well, and we've spent a lot of time on the marketing team kind of breaking that down from a measurement standpoint and what makes logical sense. And, you know, we've done a lot of scoring models and what, you know, what different types of engagement are worth. And, you know, attending a webinar has a, a slightly different weight than having a 30 minute conversation at an event dinner or something like that. So those are nuances that we build into how we measure success of this strategy to make sure, to your point, we are looking at the, the strong, strongest buying signals and, and that's who we're driving towards sales pipeline. Love it. And then your other uncuttables, I don't know if you want to add any flavor there yes. as well. Yeah, I'll add referrals is one, and that's very related to community. And the reality is most, at least in the retail marketing space, and I would say this is true in any space of anybody buying technology, they're looking to their peers when they're evaluating solutions and they're mm -hmm. looking for recommendations. I think gone are the days of like, Yes, there's a place for like G2 crowd and the Forrester reports and things like that, but those are small signals. People trust their peer network. So out of the community for us has sprung an organic referral program where we have customers or industry influencers who know us well, they've, they, they've used our platform, they understand the value, and they're willing to introduce us to the people who are trying to solve the problems that we solve for. And that requires nurturing on our end to make sure we make it really easy for those referrers to, to walk us into certain conversations. And that's another place where we've become respected enough that we're, we're trusted to have that conversation. Let me just add real quick onto that. We did a really good episode about analyst relations. And I think that my, my piece on sort of the, and we've done a bunch of great episodes with both G2 and Trust Radius. So I think that there's a ton of value in those two things for sure. I think that they get you on the slide. Like that's what's so valuable is like you, if you're in the correct quadrant or if your G2 ratings are really high or you, you know, win a bunch of things that way, it will get you on the slide in front of the CFO, you know, and say like, hey, well, why was like, who's, who's at the top, right. You know, or whatever mm -hmm. that'll get you on the slide, which is great if you have that motion. But at the end of the day, like you said, what's going to fast track you from nobody even, you know, caring at all to like, Hey, my pal uses this. They said, it's awesome. Here's their case study of how they actually did it in their company and how they're getting value. Like from my friend, by the way, with, with all the wink, wink, nudge, nudge stuff, like they can give me the real, real about this whole thing. That's way more valuable. Totally. Yeah. And there is a place for analyst relations and there is that validation. And there's other ways in which that we have looked at analyst relations too. Like they have a lot of great reports, like the total economic impact report, where they literally dig into your business and they evaluate 
literally the total economic impact, not just revenue, but time savings and operationally what that looks like. And those are the type of things that help with the conversations. But to your point, when we think about accelerating, getting in the door with the decision makers, those referrals are like second to none. (laughs) Yeah. We had some match referrals on the show a long time ago. He's like, I will never get a referral and just ignore it. Like if one of my friends says, hey, you should check this out. We use it and it's awesome. He's like, I will always look. That's never, I'm never going to delete the text. I'm never going to, you know, delete the email. I'm going to, I'm going to go check it out and I'm probably going to take a call because I trust my friends. And like, that is the difference, right? If an analyst tells you to do that, you're like, oh, great. That'll be good ammo to, when I, to convince my CFO that we need to make this investment. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Exactly. Well said, for sure. Okay. Third uncuttable. Third. So this one I have less to say about because we're testing it, but I have a, a, this is to me is like untapped potential. It's LinkedIn, paid and organic LinkedIn, because this is where the decision makers are. And just like Twitter and Instagram have become so bingeable for the audiences that are on there, there's an opportunity to do the same with LinkedIn. All of our decision makers are on there. They're posting, they're looking for, they're recruiting, they're looking for jobs, whatever it is. And the content on there is kind of hit or miss. So this to me is where we are going to start elevating our internal retail experts and our key opinion leaders to drive that top of funnel awareness, drive that that known, respected, trusted relationship demand gen chain motion. So I'm excited to see what my team and I kind of do with that over the next six months or so. I love it. That is awesome. I wholeheartedly agree. We do the same thing at Caspian. I got that advice on the show and I can't remember who it was, but we've been running LinkedIn ads in concert with organic from my page for a while and using like our podcast and stuff like that and different clips and all sorts of different stuff there. But yeah, no, it's, it like absolutely works. Like it provides a really nice halo and like you hear because we had, you know, we produce like 65 different shows. So we run this play for a lot of people. And when you give a subject matter expert, especially someone on your internal team, something like a series or a podcast or, or whatever, an event series that they're hosting, they get hit up all the time when they go to events and stuff like that and go like, oh, you're the podcast guy or like, you know, like, oh yeah, like I saw, you know, whoever was on your show and they're like, those didn't show up in the comments. Those didn't show up in the, you know, in the clicks. It's just those people that LinkedIn just favors getting thought leadership from human beings out in front of their peers. And that's the way the algorithm works. And if you're making good stuff, like they accelerate that. If you make bad stuff, you see your posts, they don't do as well. And yeah. It's like an absolute winning strategy. And if you combine that with paid and then you can sort of follow them all around LinkedIn, it's like, it works crazy well. And LinkedIn's ads yeah. are crazy expensive too. So there's a downside to it, but the organic stuff is is really nice. Right. And, and for us, I think like, if we feel really strongly about the content and thought leadership we're putting out, like we're going to risk the dollars because to your point, we think the reach would be exponential if we do it right. Some of the LinkedIn ad units are really good. Some are kind of funky. Uh, especially the ones that are like the top right unit on desktop. Those ones are kind of weird. We've seen mixed results with that, but some of the other ad units are so, so good. I I talked to, we recently had Clary on the podcast. I was talking about how their ads, how I've seen them for so long. 
and they just stand out and they pop and it's like unmissable, right? And if you tell the right story, like you will get the view, you will get the impression and it's really good. Whereas there's just other places where you can serve ads where it might not be the case. Yeah. It's funny, Clary came up when we were looking at like, who are the B2B companies that are doing this really well? Clary was one that came up as we're looking at like, what do we want to test here? So yeah, it's funny. The fact that you saw it, like they're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. We are. That's I'm like, everybody knows the run revenue campaign. They're like, great to hear. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But I totally agree. I mean, like so many people are on LinkedIn and so many executives, like you said, it's just from a recruiting standpoint, from a thought leadership standpoint, they know they need to like get information out there in front of people to build their teams, to do all that stuff. It's how you build your career now, you know? Agreed. So yeah, those are my uncuttables. Events, community, referrals, LinkedIn. Okay. What <laughs> about something that maybe is not working or fading away or just something that you don't want to invest in next year? So this is, I think traditional outbound is fading away. Hmm. That is why our we've kind of pivoted our entire SDR team into this ABX account-based experiences role. This goes back to in enterprise where tech solutions are oversaturated. Most prospects are not buying from just like a cold call or a cold no. email. So the way we kind of integrate the SDRs and the ABX team really is what they are into that relationship demand gen chain totally elevates their value because we're becoming known and respected in all of the activities we're doing between thought leadership, events, and community, which gives them the ability and the time to curate their outreach based on the very specific research they're doing on the specific company so that they can speak to exactly what the person that they're going to email is is feeling, the pain that they're feeling, who, if we're doing our job right, has heard our point of view all along, has been part of our community. Now they want to take a call with us. So it becomes so much more about the individual contact and the individual company that they work at and how that ABX team is able to curate it to speak do directly to them after they've had all this context from us in the upfront top of funnel activities, that's becoming really valuable. And a lot of the new Gen AI tools, which me and my team are still learning, are a big part of that where we can feed, okay, if we're talking to an apparel retailer this is what an apparel retailer is cares about generally compared to like a health and beauty retailer. And then that's something an ABX manager can copy edit for the specific person that they're speaking to. And that just accelerates like true one-to-one -one outreach. So goodbye, like cold calling and blast emails from the SDR. Hello, hyper-personalized, curated, that's built right into the marketing engine. I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's ludicrous that we just blast thousands and thousands of emails at people's email boxes. Like there's just yeah. a better way. I, I I I just was talking to a CMO that said that basically a bunch of their marketing budget got cut and their their CEO hired a bunch of outbound reps. And it's like, could you imagine a worse way to spend your money than <laughs> let's just send more emails because that's free. You know, it's like, yeah. 
I mean, it's not free because you just put a 10 person headcount on it. And they're just going to. Yeah, 10 person headcount with very minimal results. And you're also pissing off your customer base. Like, yeah. And you're driving people crazy. <laughs> well, and this um, is why we're so focused on measuring the strategy versus the channel. Yes, we're looking at the channel and things like LinkedIn, we want to dial up. But when we're looking at how they're engaging with the programming, it becomes a lot easier to justify budget to the CFO. Totally. And not to say like emailing people is is bad or, or reaching out is bad or any of that sort of stuff. I'm referring to someone taking a list of 10,000 accounts, breaking it right. up between their 10 salespeople or their you know BDRs and just emailing them 50,000 times in uncreative yeah. ways. There's, and, there's nothing to warm up the market like before that. So it's going to be really hard to break through. <laughs> any other thoughts on, on plays or, or budget items or other stuff or stuff you're excited about or anything there? We could definitely dig into like, since we were kind of just talking about it, how we measure success. Let's do it. Okay. Cause this is something we talk about literally every single day. And at the end of the day, everything has to tie to pipeline, meaning meaningful meetings generated for the sales team with qualified contacts and accounts. With our model, this relationship demand gen chain approach, this means looking at what is moving prospects from those points of entry to points of leverage, to points of conversion and understanding what the trends are. So like I said, less about the channel, more about the strategy. So we can see that, for example, nine times out of 10, if a prospect attended a community event, they we, we book a sales meeting with them. Or if they've engaged in a LinkedIn ad about this topic, they immediately end up in a community program. So it's like, what are the what are the levers that we can pull to move them along those points in the chain? And that's what we're measuring. And going back to even what we were talking about earlier, as far as like a two second meeting at an exhibit booth doesn't necessarily mean they're a lead. The screens, like, the the badge scan. The badge it's scan. It's a badge like, scan. That means nothing. And that's also another reason why we've actually pulled back investment on exhibiting at events, which we can also talk about. But reality being, how do we how do we assign meaningful weight to the intricacies of what's happening at the points of entry, points of leverage, points of conversion? Downloading something is going to weigh more than I clicked something on the website, for example. Going to a community event and having a conversation during that roundtable weighs more than I signed up for the event, but I didn't show up. So we're literally looking at those intricacies to be able to understand what's working and what's not. How do we accelerate? What are the things, the levers we can pull to accelerate things on that chain and drive up those, those sales meetings? Yeah. I think it's just about rephrasing thinking of like not thinking of your customers in a binary way of like, does this get them closer to buy? Yes or no. And thinking of like, are they showing intent to be part of your community because they want to learn? Is, is this someone who wants to be closer to their peers? Is this someone who, 
you know, just seeks to learn information. They've checked out like three webinars and two white papers and, you know, whatever else, or like every time it's about sustainability, they attend. So clearly they have an interest in sustainability. So could we engage them in that way? Like, that's where I think that so much of like what we've missed traditionally is just trying to say that like all of these, you know, intent signals equal sales intent, where it's like, no, they equal a desire and and a need to be part of a community that can serve them in many different ways. And like, we can be that for them. And then, you know, we can also ask them sales questions like, Hey, are you ready to buy our stuff? And it, you know, and it's a lot easier that way. And I think just so many people, like each of those steps in traditional marketing was like scan badge, that's a lead webinar. That's a lead, you know, download a white paper. That's a lead. Like the, <laughs> yeah. that's not showing intent to buy unless exactly. it is like a, Hey, you know, uh, uh, a demo, like, Hey, I saw you watch our demo video. Like, sounds like you want to buy something, you know, like that's obviously (laughs) very intent. Right. Well, and I think it's humanizing it and adding just some logic and even just applying it to our own experiences. When I'm like Googling something and reading an article, it doesn't necessarily mean I want to buy your solution, but yeah, well said. Okay. Let's get to the desktop. Uh Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitor, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Sarah? Oh, I've had a few. So You're from Jersey, I mean... I'm from Jersey. We were very direct. Well, actually, technically, I'm from New York, which is probably even worse. So nothing, nothing gets left unsaid. Yeah. So there's no running from us. But yeah, and I think where. So I mean, this dust up as a marketing leader, this dust up comes in every role every year. It's the dust up between marketing and sales. There is always a finger pointing situation you're going to find yourself in where we're doing all these this to to drive leads and drive relationships and get your meetings. And now we, we threw them over the fence to you and where are they going? How are they converting? Because those two are so inextricably linked. So there was a dust up, I think about a year or so ago between me, my leaders and the sales leaders where, you know, we had some very aggressive growth targets we needed to hit and we were hitting some friction points in being able to get there. And what it came down to is I pulled my peer in in sales aside and just had a very transparent conversation and level set against the fact that like, I'm pointing fingers at you. You're pointing fingers at me. We're having circular conversations and we're not making enough of a dent in these aggressive goals. And we need to acknowledge and remember the fact that our team's success, the company's success, it's inextricably linked. And if we don't start getting on the same page and working together instead of like an integrated way, instead of running in parallel, we're not going to be able to achieve our goals. And this was like a series of conversations. It wasn't just one conversation. It was between me and my peer. And then we brought our directs into the conversation. And I think it started, it was a little bit of like a therapy session at first where there's an airing of grievances. And then we all come to the table and realize we want our teams to be successful. We want the company to be successful. What do we need to change to get there? And that kind of like clearing the air and just starting fresh was so important and game-changing for the impact we were able to make on Pipeline. And we basically were like, 
We need to do planning together. We need to make sure we are running towards the same goals. Marketing can't have goals and sales can't have goals. We have to have goals that exist together. And we need to have an agreement on the strategy on both sides of the coins for how we're moving things through the funnel, through the marketing pipeline, into the sales pipeline. And what's the operating rhythm with which we're going to check in with each other on what's working, what's not, so that we can pivot where necessary. And this was huge for us. It it just changed the way we were thinking about marketing and sales. And it was an important learning for me. And it's something I've gone back to time and time again, as you know, leadership changes or, or strategy changes, where we have to go back to that level set and remember, like, we're all here trying to do something good. Let's work together. First of all, I've also been at Blue Core for like 10 years. So like since Blue Core has existed, basically. So I already have a reputation that precedes me, but it's gotten <laughs> to the point now where you I've become a verb. So if like if like we're not getting to the point or if we're we're veering off track, you get cast owned. <laughs> you get cast owned so that we can focus on the right things. And but yeah, it's fun. I think people appreciate it. <laughs> I I I don't know how I haven't gotten Cascone yet yet today, but I, now I'm <laughs> now I'm even more on my toes. Okay, let's get to our last segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like conversational marketing with Qualified. You can go to qualified.com to learn more because Qualified prospects are on your website right now. You can talk to them quickly with Qualified. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Sarah. Are you ready? I'm ready, Ian. <laughs> Number one, do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? Yes. So for me, it's ruthless prioritization. So no matter how much is on my or my team's plate, I can see the big picture of what's most important and why and clear the way against any distractions or shiny objects. And it's funny that you asked this now because this actually just came out of a discussion I had with my CMO recently. It's one of those things, like everyone's got a hidden talent that is obvious to everyone else, but it's so innate to you and who you are. It's not even something you recognize unless it's brought to your attention. And I, well, I think that's also a good learning in that way. Like, it's great to survey your peers and your boss as far as like what they believe your superpowers to be so you can lean in on that. But that's mine. Ruthless prioritization. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show that you've been checking out recently? Yes. You'd recommend? So, <laughs> the shows I watch are mostly trashy reality TV where I can turn my brain off. But my favorite book right now, which I'm in the middle of, is Grit mm. by Angela Duckworth. So... I've always believed in the power of grit, which as she defines as this combination of passion and perseverance over raw talent. This book unpacks that. But people who have grit are basically in the face of anything, able to figure things out, persevere, keep moving, fall down, get up. And those are the type of people I love to work with and I love to hire because regardless of skill or talent, you can do almost anything with, with that quality, in my opinion. So highly recommend. I have to finish it. It's I'm like halfway through and I love it. And I'm recommending it. <laughs> it's a, Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a great one. If you weren't in marketing at all or business, what do you think you'd be doing? 
probably be a stay-at-home dog mom. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I've got two pit bulls who are a handful and I love them. But yeah, I don't know. It's a business. It's hard to picture myself doing anything else because I absolutely love what I do. Marketing to me is just like got this human psychological element to it that I'm just very drawn to. So yeah, I guess stay at home dog mom is my my second alternative. <laughs> what would be your best advice for a first-time VP of marketing who's trying to figure out their pipeline strategy? Tap your community. Community is like, I think the most important thing in business period, no matter what role you're in. I think I've been able to grow because I've been open to talking to others, getting their feedback, never assuming that I know everything. And honestly, that humility, it's kind of funny. You think it's the opposite, that the higher you go up in the chain, the more sure of yourself you are. I think it's almost the opposite. Like it's the more unsure you get and the more you realize you don't know a lot or you don't know everything and you need to surround yourself with people that help you build. And that that humility is huge. So I would say always staying humble and grounded and tapping your community that's that's how you can can rocket ship up ship up <laughs> and rocket and also, ship up <laughs> you can rocket ship up and also shake your head in your flappy little doggy ears <laughs> did you hear that oh my god yeah. flappy doggy ears always a welcome <laughs> sound in the in the proverbial pipeline visionary studio <laughs> Sarah, that's it. That's It's been fantastic chatting with you today. For listeners, you can go to bluecore.com. And if you're in marketing for a D2C company, boy, do we have some sweet communities for you to join. And so check that out. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug here? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much for joining and we'll talk soon. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.